0: The path of tornadic destruction confronts us with the fact that we live in a world where Satan is still ruling, but our trust in the coming kingdom of Jesus assures us that in the end it will be sunshine and life, not violent wind and death that rules. In the first century, as a resurrected, ascended Christ worked through his disciples like Peter and John. He gave them miraculous power to heal diseases and cast out demons. You would expect everyone to join in the praise, but Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 42 reveals that not everyone in Jerusalem was happy. I was sitting in the Bible study on Wednesday. I was in the middle of taking prayer requests and suddenly my, my cell phone. Buzz next to me. I looked at it. My daughter calling from Tuscaloosa. I'm thinking what in the world is Janae doing? Doesn't she know I'm in the middle of Bible study? So I put it on hold like a bad dad. But man, as soon as Bible study was over, we started getting the news. Everybody started calling us. And then Harvey and Janae were able to get in touch with us. And you've all seen the pictures. The next couple days, our lives have all changed. Uh, Janae described standing on the edge of western Tuscaloosa. Harvey's great-grandfather bought the land that his grandfather built, the whole section there. It is totally leveled. Janae said you can look right through the center of Tuscaloosa, 15 miles long, a mile wide. And we need to really be in prayer. I mean, it's just unbelievable, it's incredible, devastating deadly storm. Now let's just imagine that as you went through that rubble today and people are actually camping out beside all their stuff because there's looting and that's something we need to be in prayer about. And all of you that are police officers know about that. Crime and looting and danger that way. And Janae says, dad and mom, you know, the the people have to camp out to guard their stuff. There's also people that have been wounded. Let's suppose that there was somebody, a couple guys could just start to walk through the hospital. They could go from room to room. And let's suppose that just their shadow could fall on someone and they were healed. Wouldn't that be incredible? Tremendous, miraculous power, power for healing. As we open up to Acts chapter 5 today, and we look at this passage, Dr. Luke gives us another summary, and he speaks about a time in church history, and by the way, the reason we're studying the book of Acts is that this is the only credible, authoritative, biblical presentation of what was going on in the first century church. So if you want to find out where believers come from and what they're doing, that's why we're studying this book. And we start out with an incredible reality that the apostles, Peter and John especially, with a focus on Peter, there was a time when as they walked through the streets of Jerusalem, people, and even they brought sick people in from the town surrounding them, they put them on stretchers, and if Peter's shadow just went by, there was healing power that was released. It was an incredible time of signs and wonders. It was the apostolic age. And that's what the, Dr. Luke wants us to catch a feel of, of what it was like in the birth of the church. The church of Jerusalem is growing, and I want you to see the incredible power that was unleashed. Look at chapter 5, uh, verse 12. It says, the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 12. It says, they performed many signs and wonders among the people. The idea of signs means that these miracles are pointing to spiritual truth. One you ask yourself, what was the point of Peter being able to do these incredible miracles, the other apostles being able to do these incredible miracles? They also are described as wonders so that you were awestruck when you saw what happened. I mean, this is not a manipulative meeting. This is not large crowds that gather. And I use psychological techniques. We're going to find out this is just right out in the street. And it's a time in church history where the apostles have incredible, miraculous power. That's what Luke is describing. Then he says this. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. So Dr. Luke starts to describe the scene of this time of miraculous signs and wonders that are pointing very powerfully to something we need to learn about God's kingdom. What it's describing is this is a Jewish movement. They're meeting in Solomon's Colonnade, which is this porticoed area in the Herodian Temple, what's called the Second Temple. Temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed. This temple was built, and it wasn't even completed at this time. It was such a glorious place. It took years after year, but the new body of believers, a small group of believers that's now exploded to 3,000, it's going to explode to 5,000. They're gathering together. But I want you to see that there's incredible fear. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira were struck down, so it's going all over Jerusalem. Don't mess with whatever is happening. The Jewish high priest, we're going to find out in this text, the Jewish high priest have incredible antagonism. And we want to ask ourselves the question, who would ever be against these miracle workers? If somebody could go into the hospital in Tuscaloosa that's standing up above the rubble, you could see where the tornado went through. If somebody could go into that hospital and they had incredible heavenly power to heal people, who would ever be against that? That's the tension that Dr. Luke wants you to feel. What we're going to have building in this passage is there are those that really respond to this incredible invasion of the kingdom of heaven, these incredible miracles. And then we got a group that oppose them. And I want you to think through what's going on here. And is it really the way people are? Because the text is going to help you understand the kind of situations that you face in life and the different groups that you face. And it's very accurate when you've got a new movement developing and people see incredible manifestations of power, but the religious hierarchy is saying, don't get involved with them because they're heretical, they're wrong. You get this tension going. You see, the people, they're afraid in during the day when all these believers, hundreds of them, are gathering and hearing the apostles teach You've got people looking at that and they want to join, but they're afraid to. Doesn't that make sense? When the Spirit of God is on the march, when the wind is blowing, Jeff used the phrase with Tim, he said, Aslan is on the move. I love that picture. When Aslan is on the move, which is what's happening in Acts chapter 5, you just can't keep people from responding to Jesus. Look what it says. Though many didn't dare to join them, nevertheless, don't you love those neverthelesses in the Bible? More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They can't stop this people movement. And we want to rejoice with many of you that have just come to know the Lord Jesus. On Easter afternoon, we had a couple people at our house and they were sharing, this is the very first time that Easter was real to us. Now we know why there's so much joy, because this was the very first Easter that the risen Jesus through his spirit lived in their heart. That's incredible excitement. Get close to people that just came to know Jesus. We want to all be involved in this kind of a people movement that the spirit's moving and people are responding. So what happens when people are responding? The church is is developing. We have a glimpse into Peter the apostle's miraculous power. Look what it says in verse 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets. They laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. So the word is spreading out. This is a movement that's spreading not just from Jerusalem, but into all the surrounding towns in Judea. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick, those tormented by evil spirits, or unclean spirits, and all of them were healed. The first issue we want to wrestle with in this text is signs and wonders. What's the nature of these signs and wonders? What's going on? Well, one thing I want you to realize is that what we experience in Tuscaloosa, we've got a deadly storm, a class five tornado. It blows away everything in its path. It is deadly. Where does that come from? We sing songs. This is my father's world. Since I was, how many of have ever sang that song? Since I was a little kid, this is my father's world. God rest me in the thought. You know, and it talks about the beautiful trees. The talk. It's it's so mellow, isn't it? Awesome. But we live in Texas. I I looked at the backside of that storm that hit Tuscaloosa that was just over in Waxahachie. Eating dinner on on Tuesday, we saw that. And we know the power of that. So one of the tensions I want to wrestle with is you live in a world. We've had earthquakes that exploded. Tim talked to us about that. that that brought devastation, that makes Tuscaloosa even look like a small thing. And then we've had pictures of a gigantic storm, a student taking pictures out of his dorm, and this gigantic Class 5 tornado. I mean, this isn't the movies. This is a real thing. How many times have you heard that? So one of the things I want you to realize is, what's going on there when nature comes unglued? Well, your Bible teaches you that ultimately God is the creator. But very realistically this morning, you didn't understand that the Bible does not teach that all of nature right now, as well as all people, do exactly what the Father wants. It's an incredibly mysterious time in some ways. In fact, the book of Romans says that creation is groaning, that it's been influenced by our sin. And so there's deadliness in nature. It's not like a Disney movie. There is violence in nature. It is hard. If you really get out there, we live in a very dangerous place, and all of our technology and all of our warning systems can't stop the devastation. It's the same thing with disease. We think we really have control over disease. And then suddenly, terrible viruses that we never even planned on. The antibiotics aren't strong enough. All of you, as a pastor teacher, that's one of the most most frightening thing, that when my telephone rings, it could be another crisis. How many of you admit there's a dark side to the world that we live in, okay? Now, the book of Job tells us about whirlwinds. The book of Job talked to us about a conversation that God had with Satan. And Job, the Lord's servant in the story, isn't aware that there's a great conflict going on. But the book of Job describes the conflict that's been going on since the rebellion in the garden, since I told you about the great serpent slayer, that the great odds with the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman, there's a tremendous conflict in the world. The tornado in Tuscaloosa shows that's a real conflict, okay? And what it's saying, just like in the book of Job, the book of Job describes God is overall. God is responsible. He is running the story. But the book of Job also shows us that God doesn't cause the tornado that wipes out Job's family. God doesn't call the boils that wipe out Job. God doesn't say, that's my heart. That's the way it's going to be forever and ever. In other words, in eternity, when I create the kingdom, there's going to be cancer. There's going to be boils. There's going to be tornadoes. There's going to be darkness and death. No, the book of Job is telling you, the heart of God, though we live in this mysterious time, the book of Job is screaming at you that God wants you to trust him. God wants you to depend upon him. He says to Dave, Dave, you won't understand tornadoes. You're not going to understand those you lose that I don't heal versus those that I do. You're not going to totally understand that. But you have to decide what you're going to believe. And the Lord is giving in the first century. He's saying, my son rose again from the dead. My apostles are credible witnesses to them, and I'm giving them the power to do the same kind of miracles that my son was able to do, and those miracles are signs. They are wonders to cause you to realize that there's a kingdom that's coming. Does that make sense? Very, very important. You decide, like if you're just a naturalist, you say, well, I don't believe in God because of the tornado. Look at it, it killed. It wiped out churches. It just blew churches away throughout the South. How can there ever be a God? Okay, so I don't believe in God. And I have to do funerals. I still have to do funerals. What do you tell the people that have died then? Well, I'm a materialist. I just believe it was the forces of nature, just meteorological phenomena. You see, when you get wind going 200 miles an hour, it becomes a really destructive thing. And that's just the way it is. And that's all there is. And the people that are dead, they are gone forever. That really helps and comforts, doesn't it? That's what I want you to feel. You see, everybody, if I'm a scientist and I don't believe in a supernatural invasion from beyond, if I just believe in now. I still have to wrestle with storms I can't control, deaths that happen that I don't understand, tremendous devastation. And the book of Acts is challenging you. Which side are you going to be on? Because in the first century, there was a group of people that didn't believe in life after death. Interesting enough, they were the priests that controlled the Jerusalem temple. They were the ones that made all the money off the sacrifice. You talk of irony. And that's what Dr. Luke is setting up for you. He's saying, you're going to decide. You are a, among a group of people that in the first century, there were apostles that were able to do miracles just like Jesus did. And they're pointing, the reason they're able to do those miracles, so that you could count on the fact that the Savior was put in the grave and he grows again from the dead. He came back to life. There, the Bible is also very honest. There was another group in Jerusalem, the Sadducees. Annas was the high priest that was leading them. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, was the acting high priest. They say, no, he didn't rise again from the dead. And that's the tension of this chapter. Now, I want you to stop and think. Who would ever be against someone that can do miracles? That's part of the paradox of this chapter. If, if people can just be healed, you can bring a sick mother she's on a stretcher and peter goes by and she's healed well how would you respond to that well of course you'd say man i don't know what's going on here but praise god doesn't that make sense but notice that's not the way people respond look what it says then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the sadducees were filled with jealousy and the bible is very realistic you're going to face jealousy In fact, you need to understand, when you feel this visceral response, I don't like what's going on. I'm going to get them. You need to ask yourself, Lord, am I jealous? Because Dr. Luke is telling us that one of the things that led to murderous violence against the kingdom of Jesus was jealousy. You see, there was a people movement taking place. Thousands of people are joining the apostles. Thousands of people are beginning to listen to Peter. They're not paying attention to Annas anymore. And when that starts to happen, jealousy wells up in our hearts. And the apostle Paul tells us in Galatians that one of the fruit of the spirit is to be loving and gentle. But the act of a sinful nature, one of them is jealousy. And it's connected with fits of rage. It's connected with parties and factions. So if, in your own life right now, if you look back over this week and you find yourself, I get really passionate, and I get really hot, and man, I get in my little group. It can be over a lot of different issues, and I'm going to divide. I'm going to get them. You need to ask yourself, what am I jealous about? I need to ask myself, what am I jealous about? Because this story is telling us one of the things that caused the religious leaders of Jesus' day and of the apostles' day to reject them to reject the message is they wouldn't open themselves up to their own pride and their own desire for power and the jealousy, the envy they had as God began to use other people and began to take away from their power and influence. So, what are they going to do? What does jealousy do? It says they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Now, that's crazy. Why would you, erect a, you know, arrest apostles for doing miracles? But during the night, and here's some great humor, you've got to listen to this in the Bible. It says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. You need to stay with us because later on in the book of Acts, it's going to tell us about an angel releasing Peter and it's actually going to tell us how, it, how they did it. This time, it just says an angel of the Lord appeared. And by the way, if you're just a materialist, you don't believe in angels. But if angels open doors one time, then you're wrong, and the apostles are right. And I just want to go on record. Like I, I'm honest with you. like I was trained in science. There's a part of me that struggles believing in angels. And I struggle with Peter having his shadow go across people, and they get healed. But I want to know, I want to go on record this morning, that I believe with all my heart, That there's angels. Amen? In fact, I believe some of them took care of my kids. And little H.A. I go by little H.A.'s, his pictures on the piano. And every time, the last three days, ever since Wednesday, I say, Jesus, thank you for taking care of little H.A. And pray for those people that lost their loved ones. And pray for fellow believers that are crying today. And I don't understand that mystery. Like, why my family was just a few miles north, totally, they didn't even see the storm, and why other families were right in the way. I don't understand that mystery. But I do believe that there's angels, and we're going to have it right in the book of Acts. We're going to have Peter released from prison, and we're going to have James, one of the Lord's disciples, that gets killed. So the Acts is not going to take away the tension. It's going to save. It's going to challenge us. Who do you believe? Who do you trust? So the angel lets them loose, and the angel challenges them to do something really important. Look what it says. It says, I want you to go and stand in the temple courts. And I want you to tell the people the full message of this life. And that's a mandate that we need to continue. You see, what the angel is saying is, you need to leave prison. Now, if I was Peter, I would have said, wait a minute. I just got arrested for doing this. I'm not supposed to do this. So I think I'm going to head north up into Syria. Let's get away from Jerusalem. This is too hot. Don't you agree? But the angel says, no, I want you to go to the temple right where you just got arrested. And I want you to declare the message of this life. This is really important. What the angel is saying is, Peter and John, all you apostles, you have the message of life. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. What does it mean? The message of life is that Jesus took the worst that Satan can do. Jesus experienced the worst class 5 tornado. He experienced the worst disease. He experienced the worst rejection of friends. He experienced the worst abandonment. Jesus was totally innocent. And the story of the Bible is that the worst thing that could have ever happened on planet Earth happened. So there's nothing that you can ever face or that I can ever face that can compete with what the evil one was able to do to Jesus on the cross. That's the argument of the scripture. And what happened on the third day? Jesus conquered all of that darkness and pain and questioning and mystery and ugliness and devastating abandonment and hurt and pain. That's what the message of life is about. If you have Jesus in your heart, what can a class 5 tornado do to you? What's the worst thing that a class 5 tornado can do to you if you have Jesus in your heart? Tell me. Do you believe that? All that a class 5 tornado can do is take you to the bosom of Jesus. Is that a bad place? And there's not going to be any more Class 5 tornadoes anymore. No more cancer anymore. No more car accidents anymore. No aging anymore. You're not going to go to church services and watch Dave hugging two people that aren't with us anymore. That's what the Bible's talking about. Odette and Mom and Hans that you saw last night, where are they? See, that's the line. If you're a Sadducee, they're in the ground, they're gone. No resurrection. Just to live for this life. And your culture is telling you that's what you need to believe in. And I want to tell you from the depth of my heart, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. You have a message of life. We're not talking about comparing religions. We're not talking about comparing philosophies. You, if you have Jesus in your heart... You, can, you need to get out of the way of a Class 5 tornado. You're not supposed to be such a committed Calvinist that you say the Lord will take care of me if it's his will. It's not his will for you to sit around. Get out of the way! But if you can't get out of the way, when you pray, you can be totally assured it's not going to end with sickness and death. And tornadoes aren't going to have the last word. That's what this text is saying. That's what it means. And I have to decide this morning. Wurtzen, do you believe that? The message of life. And that's why I want you not to be silent in your school. If you're a student, speak up for Jesus. I want you to be good students. I want you to make good grades. If you're a homeschooler, you've got to get connected with unbelievers too. It's marvelous for you to train your kids. But if you are not exposing your kids to unbelievers who don't have the gift of life, your kids will never believe it. My kids trust in Jesus today because they know for sure Jesus brings a message of life. How do they know that? Because Jonathan, my oldest son, saw Bree raised in an agnostic family that didn't know Jesus at all. She began with other believers in Tim's youth group, telling Bree about Jesus, sharing about the resurrection. And they saw Bree receive Jesus as her savior. That's what held my son in when he didn't have the intellectual answers. You've got to listen to me. It's got to be real. It's not going to be enough for you to talk about the philosophy of life. It's not going to be enough for you to teach all your kids about life. They need to see people's lives change. I was raised with that. And I'm not arguing whether you're a homeschooler, a Christian schooler, a public schooler. I'm saying that we have a message of life and I want us to stay together. All of us. You can have strong viewpoints about public school and, and about homeschooling and my Christian school. Don't divide the body of Christ ever over that. And I'm going to plead with you, make sure in every dimension of life, if you're a business person, you need to be exposing people to the fact that you know Jesus, that you've met the resurrected Jesus. They need to see your life changed. And your kids will respond to that very important we have a message of life and as we declare the message of life there's going to be times of great laughter and times of great fear but there are also some really neat times of laughter the high priest the text tells us the next verses he calls the soldiers in says go and bring the prisoners in and comes in caiaphas comes in they're all sitting there and, and luke describes them sitting in their chairs they're all probably folding their hands ready to render judgment Suddenly, their soldiers come in and says, man, you talk about a look of being perplexed. The soldier looked and said, we went to the prison. The guard was standing at the door of the prison. He took the keys and unlocked the prison. We got inside, and nobody was there. (laughs) Nobody was there. So then Luke says, where everyone's confused about it. They're scratching their head going, what in the world? Then another one of their servants comes in because the Sanhedrin is over the temple area. So the temple police are under their authority. So you got one guy coming in saying, we went to the prison and the doors were all locked. And but when we got all inside, no apostles. All 12 apostles are gone. Then another guy comes running in and says, I know where they are. They're in the temple. They are proclaiming what you told them not to proclaim. That's the intent of the story. And the Sanhedrin comes unglued. They get furious. They grab the apostles. Doctor Luke has to tell us that they're very careful when they go in and arrest them in Solomon's court. They do it very gently because man, everyone's going to stone them if they don't. They're really upset. They bring the apostles in before the Sanhedrin again, and Luke actually tells us what happens. Having brought the apostles, this is verse 27, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you've determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Were they guilty of this man's blood? So are we. That's the irony. They were guilty of the blood. If they would have realized it, they could have received new light. Now look what the apostles say. Peter and the apostles replied, We must be submissive to you, you're the Sanhedrin We don't want to cause great problems in Jerusalem, and we realize this is causing a big thing, so we'll just promise to be nice boys, and we're not going to say anything. Because everybody knows we need to be tolerant of everyone else's viewpoints. It's very important in a pluralistic society to honor everyone else's opinion, and your opinion is just as good as mine. That's what you all hear constantly. So this morning I want you to think really hard, what do you really believe? If you have a message of life now you shouldn't be obnoxious and you shouldn't not do a good job and you shouldn't be talking to people about Jesus, like Candon over here, an emergency relief guy. When I have cardiac arrest, I don't want him to share the four laws. I want him to use an AED machine on me. Get my heart going. He can talk to me after I get recovered in the hospital. This is real to me i teach buddhism if you come to my class on monday nights in comparative religion you will hear buddhism and if you're a buddhist you would say yeah he was fair that's my job in a university jesus isn't telling me i don't say that buddhism is right but i want every one of our kids that go to thailand to know what buddhism is Is that you may understand that but I also know that if I present Jesus in a public marketplace, if I let, put Jesus next to Confucius and all that I've told you, all the other religious philosophies, Ron Hubbard, the Scientologist, if I lay all that side by side and I tell the truth about Jesus, guess what? The message of life, the message of resurrection, the message of the only person that's ever lived who rose again from the dead will powerfully change lives. Do you believe that? Don't let anyone shut you down. I want every kid, I want to, we need to totally remove the intimidation. If you're a school teacher, you need to be a good school teacher. But if you're a professor, you can have Christian groups. Don't withdraw. Like my son's at Yale. There are Christian professors at Yale. There's even an association of Christian professors that are praying for revival at Yale. That's what we need to do. We need to be right in the center of the marketplace. I want you to be in government. I want you to be in medicine. I want you to be in law. I want you to be in law enforcement. I want you to be in the oil industry. I want you to be, that's where it's happening. I want you to be out there. But don't be silent. The apostle Peter says, Peter said in the the other apostles, that we must obey God. Brother men, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as Lord, as Prince and Savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. This is the Jewish movement at the time. So if you're asked the question, do Jews need to receive Jesus? If you say no, you've just taken away the Messiah from the one people that had the promise for hundreds of years. That is not, that is not being tolerant and nice. It's like a medical doctor that says, No, this is the only cure, and you take it away from somebody. I want you to think like that. Dr. Luke is writing at this moment, at this time in the book of Acts, to all Jewish people. It's a Jewish Sanhedrin. This is so much a part of your culture. Peter doesn't say to the high priest, Hannes, you have your religion? You don't believe in the resurrection. You believe in all the beautiful pomp and circumstance. You believe in the sacrifices. You believe in the beautiful temple. That's a great faith. Man, you've got great tradition. I love the law of Moses. And I believe in Jesus. Jesus rose again from the dead. He's given incredible power. He's given us signs of the world to come. And we're evidence of that. He's proven to us that he's going to bring a new heaven. That one day, in fact, he could come back very soon. And there will be no more class 5 tornadoes. And we're going to live in a world that's going to be joy and peace and happiness forever and ever and ever. That's what I believe. You can go ahead and stay over here believing that this life is all there is. And we'll just enjoy each other. Do you see the difference? The Apostle Peter says, I've received a message from God. I'm not being bigoted or obnoxious when I tell you, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus. I'm not being intolerant. I am being the most loving person that I know. And I have unbelieving friends that do understand when I talk to them like that. They say, David, if I believed what you believe, I couldn't keep quiet about it. It's such incredible good news. So let's share. So Peter says, i got to obey God rather than man. We need, I want all of you to say, we got to obey God rather than man. Everybody say that. We have to obey God rather than man. Every one of you needs to know, there comes a time when you got to obey God. It doesn't make any difference what the government says to us. It doesn't make any difference what our boss says to us. There comes a time. I have nurses that will go into a hospital room, and they're told by their administrators, you can't ever talk about Jesus. And usually that's really not the law of the hospital. It's usually the law of some administrator that probably was was hurt when they were little. All kinds of stories that go with it. I've had all kinds of nurses that say, Dave, I've been in a situation where someone's getting ready to die, and I just had to tell them about Jesus. Is that wrong? Hugh Huber in our church founded Kingdom Authority. He knows Jesus today because a counselor in a psychiatric hospital, told him, I could lose my job over this, Hugh. We have great groups. You need to get detoxed. But Hugh, if you really want to be delivered from cocaine and heroin and alcohol, the only way you're going to really get delivered is through my Savior, Jesus. And if I lose my job for telling you that, so be it. And that night, you got down on his knees and remembered his grandmother had told him exactly the same thing when he was a little boy. you got to obey God rather than men. This Sanhedrin comes and glutes. I mean, when Peter says that, they're ready to kill him. And, man, they're going to do it right then. And we're going to find out they do do this later on with Stephen. So it's a real thing. This is real stuff. People get really upset when you communicate like we're communicating now. But an old man, and I want you to notice, as you work out in the public marketplace, look for the Gamaliels. Look for the Gamaliels. Because an old Pharisee, used in a good sense, he's a very brilliant scholar. He trained the Apostle Paul when he was Saul, the young man. He's the most renowned first century scholar of Judaism. He says, put the apostles out, calm down. And he stands up, and he says this. Remember Thutis? Luke is the only witness. There's another Thutis that comes in 44 A.D., which is 10 years after I'm describing to you. So there's another Thutis, very common name. Acts is our only reference to him, but Thutis evidently rose up in the time of Herod, and there were lots of Messiah-like figures. Rose up, many Jews joined him. I'm Thutis said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. The Romans found out about it, sent their soldiers down, killed them, that was the end of it and gemari says remember through this and he says judas now judas we know about him in about four or five a.d judas was a fiery northern israelite really strong like the zealots in fact he becomes the founder his thoughts become the founder of the zealot movement judas rises up and says i'm the messiah and we're going to overthrow the Romans. It's wrong to pay taxes to Caesar. We're going to form a new movement. And hundreds of Jews join him. The Romans again attack. They cut Judas's head off, and he's destroyed. And his movement becomes the zealot movement that eventually is destroyed by the Romans in 7 AD. So that by the time that people were reading the book of Acts, they could know that even the zealot movement that Judas started that he wasn't able to finish was really finished by the Romans. And Gamaliel says this. You say, well, Dave, how should I believe, why should I believe what you're telling me? You might be sitting there and say, well, Dave, I, I'm exposed to a lot of philosophy. Some of your kids are saying, I hear it all the time. I was born in a Christian home. Suppose I was born in a Hindu home. Wouldn't I be Hindu? I'm Hindu because I'm born in India. I am Christian because I'm born in, in Texas. Isn't it all the same? No, it isn't all the same. You need to study carefully. They're not all the same. And you say, well, Dave, why should I believe in Jesus? Because of this. A Jewish rabbi in the first century said, we got a new messianic movement developing. We had a bunch of these, Thutis, Judas, now Jesus. And then he said this, wait and see. If it's of God, you won't be able to destroy it. And you, if you oppose it, will be against God. In the first century, at this time, there's only five thousand believers. They're a little tiny sect within Judaism, and when Gamaliel stood up, it was up for grabs. Will the Sadducean Jews that run the temple, that have a nice tradition of religion, will they win? Will Rabbinic Judaism, that grows out of Phariseeism, win? Or will this Galilean carpenter's peasant's son become the one that's recognized as the savior of the world. Now, I want you to listen to me. Did anybody get up early to watch the royal wedding? Well, you need to watch it. Just the ceremony, guys. Watch the ceremony. Because you had 2 billion people from all over the world, pomp and circumstance, handsome Gorgeous couple, sure that's all. Even entertainment tonight. Jane Seymour is riding on a double storied bus. But at the heart of the ceremony, they read Romans twelve. What's that about? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what God's will is, that which is perfect, acceptable. This ceremony is really speaking to a higher union, the union between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Right in this ceremony, as we look at the love of this couple, we pray that as they trust in Jesus, there will be, through the Savior, we have not just life here, but we have life everlasting. Now, I'm not saying that everybody believes that, but you live in a world today where those that at least give lip service to Jesus are billions and billions strong, and that just happened this week. So what are you going to do with Gamaliel's challenge? If it's of God, you won't be able to stand against it. It is of God. No one's been able to stand against us, Brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that it's not going to end with class five tornadoes? It's going to end with sunshine and warmth and beautiful green and beautiful blues and the former things have passed away, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's all because of what we learn in the book of Acts today. He's risen. He's alive. It's the message of life.